This is History and D&D. My name is Kevin. I grew up in Ontario, Canada in the 80s, and I started playing D&D in grade 7. In the 70s, Gary Gygax and Greg Arneson were war gamers. And Arneson met Gygax at Gen Con number 2 in 1969. By that point, Gygax and Jeff Perrin were working on Chainmail, and it came out in 71. Arneson initially used Chainmail, but then homebrewed his own rules to develop Blackmore in 72. He brought it to Gary's house in Lake Geneva in 72 to demonstrate it. Immediately, Gary developed Greyhawk while collaborating by phone with Arneson in later months. Arneson shared his draft with him, and after running Greyhawk for a while, Gary published a new set of rules, not using Arneson's newest draft, and Gary and Don Kay invested $1,000 each to print the D&D box, original D&D, OD&D. Brian Bloom invested another $2,000. TSR, the company started by these three, was born. By 1975, Don had died, and Brian's father, Melon, Melvin, brought bought Don's shares, and Brian bought 140 of the outstanding 700 shares owned by the company. Gary was now a minority shareholder. In 1976, when I was born, Gary changed the Strategic Review magazine into Dra- The Dragon, later to become Dragon Magazine. The D&D Basic set was released in 1977. Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, AD&D, first edition, was released later that year, starting with the Monster Manual, followed by the Player's Handbook in 78, and the Dungeon Master's Guide in 79. In 79, Arneson sued for royalties on AD&D and got 2.5% royalties in 81. Ed Greenwood began writing articles about Forgotten Realms in 1979 in The Dragon. The satanic panic began to affect the D&D community when James Egbert disappeared from Michigan State University in 1979. The first campaign setting based on Greyhawk was published in 1980. In 81, Brian Bloom and his brother Kevin gained controlling interest in TSR. Also later that year, Lawrence Stick and Tom Moldvay brought out their Mystera Mystera campaign as the main setting for basic D&D, integrating it with Blackmore. Tracy and Laura Hickman created Ravenloft in 1983, and in 1984, a teen in my town was murdered, sorry, a teen in my town murdered two children who went to my elementary school and blamed it on D&D. So you can understand that having a religious mother and an experience like that in our hometown led to a very difficult and rocky relationship with Dungeons and Dragons. But I'll share more about that maybe in the later time. That same year, due to mismanagement by Kevin Bloom, Gary took over TSR by buying his part of the 700 shares and hired Lorraine Williams to manage the company. He averted financial disaster when Unearthed Arcana was released. Lorraine, however, went behind his back and purchased the Bloom stake after they exercised their part of the 700 shares, and then she pushed Gary out. 
Laura Tracy Hickman created the Dragonlance setting, and Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss wrote the novels in 1984. In 1985, Dave Cook created Oriental Adventures, and it was a campaign setting that was later called Curator, or Carator, and located on the eastern side of the main Forgotten Realms continent of Faroon. I began playing D&D with my friends Chad, Sean, Chris, and Greg in 1987. We didn't have the books at this point, and much of what we did was influenced by fighting fantasy books. Chad named his character Tristan Kendrick because he had read the Moonshade trilogy, Forgotten Realms books. Sean named his character Macros the Black because his favorite books have and have always been the Rift War saga, which he finally convinced me to listen to on Audible last year. And my favorite books when I was that age were the Dragonlance books. They're comparable. Chris named his character Zeke Zethemeyer because he wanted to change his name to that briefly. And I named mine Rika Roquez because I had convinced a new French teacher in my school that my, that was my actual name. I can't remember what character Greg played. Our first campaign led us to fighting a Gorgon. And we didn't really understand what a Gorgon was. It sounded cool, so in our campaign, it was a giant super dragon. Eventually, Chad, who was the DM, declared that he and Sean had become gods. So Chris, being ever so clever, concocted a scheme to trick Chad into allowing Greg to be the dungeon master. Chad had told us that only a DM could make a new DM. Greg then made us all gods, and that was the end of that campaign. So from 1987 to 89, we slowly acquired books and modules related to D&D, and we played every day. I'll tell you a little bit more about that play style later on, because I think it's pretty unique. In 1988, sorry, Jeff Grubb and Ed Greenwood produced the City System box set. Chad bought that, and we set up the giant maps on the floor of Sean's house. At some point, Chad acquired the adventure module Temple of Elemental Evil, and something he got from a convention we attended, Pandemonium, that was called the Lava Caves of Death. We alternated between playing these adventures, and sometimes they intermingled. Mostly, it was just stuff that Chad made up on the fly, and they were nothing but titles. But every session involved us creating new characters, regardless of what had happened in the previous session, whether or not the previous ones had died. And none of these adventures were ongoing or generally the same. Chad mostly made up the dungeons on the fly with graph paper, and we killed them. That's pretty much how we played D&D. The second edition player's handbook was published in 89, and we immediately moved to second edition. Also, in that year, we started high school, and we joined a D&D group, and the dungeon master was a teacher, Mr. E., but that group refused to play anything other than 1st edition. So there was a lot of confusion of characters because 1st edition and 2nd edition are comparable because they share a lot of things in common, Thaco being one of them, although they're kind of uh, calculated or expressed differently. And uh, so we'd end up making 2nd edition characters and then basically have to try and squeeze them into 1st edition if we wanted to play them. And in 89, Jeff Grubb, Jeff Grubb created Spelljammer, and I bought the Spelljammer books and box sets, and I couldn't convince anyone to play it. Although lately, 
I have managed to sneak it into the campaign that I've been playing with Chris and Sean. Maybe I'll talk about that later. Way later. In 1989, I bought my first Dragonlance book, Tannis the Shadow Years. I basically read all the prequels before reading the main books the next year. And for Chronicles, which is the first trilogy of Dragonlance books, I actually read the third book, then I read the first book, then the second book, and then I read the Legend series, which was the sequel trilogy. And that was mostly due to library issues, because I didn't actually have the books, and I there weren't any bookstores that were carrying books from 84, I guess. I eventually, I think I found like a little box set of Legends, and I had bought the uh, Chronicles by that point. Anyway, I love them, and for the longest time they were my favorite fantasy novels, although there's quite a few others that have uh, superseded them, and I don't want Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman to feel bad. Uh, but there are some other fantasy that I prefer, but Dragonlance definitely have my heart. So Tim Brown and Troy Denning created Dark Sun in 1991, and Jeff Grubb created Al-Kadim, which was another campaign setting located in the Forgotten Realms on the continent of Faerun in 1992. Rich Baker and Colin McComb created Birthright in 19. 94. Bill, Bill Slavicek created the Council of Worms in 1994. And David Zeb Cook created Planescape in 1994 as well. And the reason I'm sort of giving all these campaign settings their due, or explaining when they were created, and mostly this timeline that I've uh, been talking about, it all kind of connects. So there's the creation of the game, and I think it's very important to, to think about how the game was created, who created it, and under what conditions it was created, and I may explore that deeper later. But the campaign settings connect to my theme of history, because you can't really have a campaign setting without having some sort of history. Even if it is very shallow history or very basic history. And I happen to love campaign settings. So in later episodes, I may uh, delve into some of the history of the campaign settings, although I think there are other podcasts and YouTubers that will probably do it much better and deeper than myself. Mostly my connection will be to the history of the game, the history of this community, the history of my connection to both of those things, and I'd like to explore history on our world and the interesting stories that you could learn from and take aspects of them and include them either on a macro level or a micro level. And what do I mean by the macro level? The macro level means on a nation-state level, basically, or on a planetary level, that would equal the history and story that was on our world, but adapted for that world. But on the micro level, it could be something as, as small as regional, tribal, and individual. So the way that people act in these historical stories, no matter how 
important the story is, meaning if it's nation states or empires at war, or how personal the stories are, you can take the grain of how people react to things that have happened and apply them to the psychology of your NPCs. I hope I explained that well, and also I hope that uh, my first podcast was understandable and enjoyable. If so, let me know. Uh, On the next episode, you'll notice that this episode ends in 1994. That's because there are dark times ahead for TSR, and that's what the next episode is about. Also, that's when I eventually stopped playing Dungeons & Dragons. Not really due to the dark times, but just because things changed in my life. Thank you.